God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. We're again in the book of Job, and we're in the section of Job and his three friends, the introduction of Eliphaz. We are now come to member D in the structure of Job. It consists of 29 chapters. One might ask, since God ultimately reproves Job's words, along also with his three friends' words, why is such an extensive record given to speeches and words which God later declares are full of error? The reason is simple. It is to show that human reason and thinking, no matter the time allotted it, will always come short of any true understanding of the ways of God. Bullinger has some words on this from his book of Job. We come, therefore, at once to the next member, D. It is a large one, consisting of 29 chapters. It contains and records the conference of Job with his three friends, the design of which is to show that man, apart from divine revelation, has not true wisdom and cannot find out or know God and cannot understand or know himself. Until man has this knowledge, he will neither justify God nor condemn himself. He may understand Jehovah's works, but his, Jehovah's ways, cannot be known. His works are seen by all, but his ways are secret and hidden and can be known only by revelation to his people. Hence we read, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel, end quote. Ample time is therefore given to Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophor, so that every ounce of human wisdom has sufficient chance to help Job in his circumstances. The Lord often doing this in trial, by allowing men sufficient opportunity to use all things at their disposal in order to impress upon them that man's only real help comes from God. Adding to this is the fact that it is generally only when men have exhausted their own thinking and efforts and know themselves incapable of solving a problem that they then turn to God for deliverance. Hence, for 29 chapters, human thought is allowed every possible opportunity to prove itself capable in delivering a man afflicted by Satan and deceived also by his own limited knowledge. In each instance and in every case, all efforts fail. The evidence proving that man's wisdom can help nothing when men are under devilish attack, therefore whenever there is only natural wisdom, it will fail miserably in understanding the ways of God and in helping to bring deliverance to those afflicted by Satan. And though men may speak much and exalt themselves while doing it, nothing of any lasting profit may be expected to come from them. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. There is no good thing that any Christian will ultimately come to possess that does not come from God. Wise men know this. Therefore, it will not be either to themselves or their own reasoning that they will seek help from. See, because man's ways are not in himself and because it is not in man to direct his steps, then to God he must look. 
Jeremiah 10, 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Teaching us as well that if men cannot even know their own way, how could they have the ability within themselves to know the ways of God? Consequently, God cannot be truly known without the Holy Spirit providing the ability for men to know Him. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. There is a depth to both God's wisdom and knowledge concerning His judgments in the earth. This wisdom is untraceable and beyond mere human perception. God's thoughts are deeper than any natural man can perceive on his own. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man, this is a man without the Holy Spirit, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Can't understand them. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. He can't come to know them. Because they are spiritually discerned. They come by way of the Spirit. Spiritual wisdom, therefore, can only be perceived through spiritual means. Ellicott on 1 Corinthians 2.14 Natural, that is literally, that part of our nature which we call the mind. And it signifies that man, in whom pure intellectual reason and the merely natural affections predominate. Now such a one cannot grasp spiritual truth any more than the physical nature which is made to discern physical things can grasp intellectual things. Spiritual truth appeals to the spirit of the man and therefore is intelligible only to those who are spiritual, i.e., in whom the spirit is not dormant, but quickened by the holy pneuma, end quote. For the spiritual realm to be made known, God's spirit must reveal it to man. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, now verses 9 and 10. But as it is written, I hath not seen, that's human eye, nor ear heard, human ear, neither have entered into the heart of man, a man absent the spirit, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, or revealed it to those who have his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, Yea, the deep things of God. Barnes on 1 Corinthians 2.10, searcheth. The word does not fully express the force of the original. It's air, una. It means to search accurately, diligently, so as to fully understand such profound research as to have thorough knowledge. So David uses the Hebrew word. So the word is used to denote a careful, accurate investigation of secret and obscure things. In 1 Peter 1.11, and also compare John 7.52, Romans 8.27, and Revelation 2.23, where it is used to denote that profound and accurate search by which the desires and the feelings of the heart are known. The deep things of God, we're still in the commentary, the deep things of God. He has a thorough knowledge of the hidden counsels or purposes of God, of all his plans, and this is in reference to the Spirit, 
and his purposes. Again, the Spirit. He sees all his designs. He sees all his counsels, God's counsels, all his purposes in regard to the government of the universe and the scheme of salvation. He, the Spirit, knows all whom God designs to save. He sees all that they need, and he sees how the plan of God is suited to their salvation, end quote now. Thus, for any to know God and his righteous judgments, it will take spiritual inspiration. This is how men first receive God's word. Without, therefore, the Spirit's influence and direction, if men talk of God, as Job and his three friends surely did, the results will be no better than God declaring that they did darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. See, it is only the spirit of truth that can lead men to truth. Human reasoning, thought, and experience proving totally insufficient in coming to know the true purposes of God. And though many men may speak much of spiritual things, thus it in no way ensures that they are being led by divine inspiration. Speaking about the Lord from the mind and speaking for God via the Spirit are as separate as night and day. And though God's name may be used in both instances, His presence is only in one. This is also why unless men are led by the Spirit, they should remain quiet, which is also one of the effects that will be accomplished when men recognize God speaking through another. Job did this with Elihu, as also did the men who were going to stone the woman caught in adultery when Jesus' words cut to their heart. So also, because uttering God's words without the Holy Spirit's inspiration only muddies any true knowledge of God. One of the reasons also that this world has very little true perception of God is because so many have said they come in God's name without possessing God's Spirit. False prophets also are those who, though they use the Lord's name, His Holy Spirit is absent in their hearts and vacant in their speech. And many false prophets, Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. If men then are ever to come to truly know God, they must give themselves to be taught by those whom Christ has set in his church and not those who have set themselves. As there is great danger when men say they are sent from God, but speak repeatedly only of their own human imagination. So that in the end, it should be those who are inspired by the Holy Spirit that have singular right to speak on God's behalf. Elihu's ministry would prove to be such a ministry. Elihu also is the only human character in the book of Job who does not later come under God's reproof. For where Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar are all corrected by the Lord, Elihu is not. Teaching us that when men are led by the Holy Spirit, they will not be chastened by God for improperly representing Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many, or only as many, as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
Notice that men are distinguished to be God's sons by if they are led by God's Spirit. As every true child of God will submit and give himself to the Spirit's promptings within himself. True Christians, by therefore yielding to the Holy Spirit's influence, can follow God's will for their life. Returning to our subject matter, E.W. Bullinger's notes on Job give us an overview of the foundation of Job's three friends' arguments. Again, from Bullinger's book, Elipaz reasons on human experience. Bildad reasons on human tradition, while Zophar reasons on human merit. If we look at the three colloquies as a whole, the one great lesson for ourselves is this, that man, with all his wisdom and all his powers, cannot get to know God and cannot meet man's needs. He can neither satisfy the righteous claims of God nor heal the wounds of the sinner's heart. All these reasonings were wrong in their conclusions, as they were false in their logic. They reasoned from the particular to the general, i.e., they argued that what they had seen and observed in their own respective spheres was true universally. They may speak truly of the works of God and of what they had seen in the case of individuals, but it did not follow that they could gather from these few cases what was the law which regarded the ways and dealings of God with mankind. Eliphaz is the first to answer Job's complaints. His three utterance are given in chapters 4, 15, and 22. His reasonings, as we have said, are based on human experience. He argued from the particular to the general, and hence arrived at a wrong conclusion. He based his arguments on his own experience. As I have seen is the burden of his speech, as he had seen that it was the wicked who always suffers and the righteous who prosper. So he concluded that as Job was suffering, he must therefore have committed some dreadful sin. At first, he only insinuates this. He asks Job if he had not noticed the same thing himself. We'll now look at Eliphaz's words, Job chapter 4, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Eliphaz begins speaking before the other two, either because he was the most age or thought himself the most knowledgeable. Either way, he thinks himself more than able to set Job right. As we shall see, he is the only one of Job's friends that God calls out by name and personally labels him for divine correction. Job 42.7 And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that which is right, or the thing that is right, as my servant Job have. Hence, Eliphaz placed himself first by singling himself out as leader of the other two. Then God determines that he shall also have to be singled out for personal correction. Gil on Job 4.1. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, When Job was done cursing his day and had finished his doleful ditty, on that subject, 
Then Eliphaz took the opportunity of speaking, not being able to bear any longer with Job and his behavior under his afflictions. Eliphaz was one of Job's three friends that came to visit him. Very probably he might be the senior man or a man of the greatest authority and power, a most respectable person, having great esteem and reverence among men. And by these his friends, and therefore takes upon him to speak first, where it may be, it was agreed among themselves that he should begin the dispute with Job. And we find that in the close of this controversy, the Lord speaks to him by name and to him only, end quote. When men take upon themselves the senior position, as Elipaz did, by originating what they think is accurate reproof, and they are wrong, then they also shall bear the greatest judgment. Taking the highest position, if we are being led by pride, leading only to greater heavenly condemnation by God. Eliphaz was confident in his assertions, but this only led him to be called out personally by the Lord. Yes, he distinguished himself, or so we thought, by leading in Job's reproof, but in the end, he needed Job's prayers to be forgiven for his sin. By taking the highest seat, he then grabbed God's attention. Uh, James 3.1 My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Benson on James 3.1 Be not many masters, teachers. Let none of you rashly and without proper qualification undertake the office of teachers of others, an office into which many are ready to intrude themselves without being called of God to do it. The great desire which the Jewish Christians, to whom this letter was written, had to become teachers in the church after their conversion and to inculcate the obligation of the law of Moses is noticed by St. Paul, 1 Timothy 1.7. Desiring to be teachers of the law, these teachers of the law in the Christian church were the great corruptors of the gospel. Knowing that, if we err, we shall receive the greater condemnation. On account of our taking upon an office for which we are not qualified, and in the exercise of which more is required of us, in many respects than of others in a more private station of life, end quote. It is then wisdom to know what God has appointed for us to do in His name, and wisdom to know that God has not equipped us at all for the task. No office of the Lord, therefore, should be assumed unless also there is divine revelation given from the Lord that it is ours to occupy. Hence, if men are to speak for God, it is not they who should decide if God has ordained them for such a purpose, but rather God alone. Lest men also, through the deceit of pride, fall into the same condemnation as the devil. 1 Timothy 3, 6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Eliphaz, fully confident in what he was about to say, begins the first of his three discourses. Eliphaz's words, Job 4.2. If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Speaking of himself. Behold, thou hast instructed many, and this is in reference to Job, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. 
Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it is come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished, being innocent, Job, surely you can't be innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Again, inferring this to Job. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perisheth for lack of prey, and the stout lion whelps are scattered abroad. Eliphaz argues by what he has seen, but is not humble enough to know the many things of God that he is not. He corrects Job for previously being a teacher of others, but now in his own distress of being weak. He presumes to know Job's guilt, but shows that he is woefully ignorant of the reality that wicked forces are involved. The real truth also is that Job had not plowed iniquity, nor had he sown wickedness, as Elipaz's words were implying. Verse 8, Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Immediately we see that Eliphaz was not led by any divine inspiration, but solely his own human imagination. His answers might have been easy to conclude, but they were way off the mark. So also just because men can bring charges against their fellow man does not mean that they will pass God's high court for being true. Verse 12 now, and this is Eliphaz again speaking. Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof, in thoughts from the visions of the night. When deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Because we know that Eliphaz erred in his thinking, it is impossible to precisely know if he was accurate in his vision. And even if the Lord had given him a vision, it does not mean that any true interpretation also had been given to him. See, many have claimed to see things that they really have not, simply because they are puffed up through human conceit. Colossians 2.18 Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Benson on Colossians 2.18, intruding into things which he hath not seen with great presumption and pretending to discover wonderful secrets relating to various ranks, subordinations, and offices. The apostles' meaning, says McKnight, is that the false teachers of whom he speaks presumptuously penetrated into the secrets of the invisible world 
and talked of them with an air of certainty, without having any knowledge of the things which they affirmed, particularly that the angels intercede with God for man, and that to worship then is acceptable to God, vainly puffed up by his fleshly, his corrupt and carnal mind, with the conceit of things which it is impossible he should understand, and a desire of introducing novelties into religion, end quote. True it is that godly men are made by God's power to see visions, but also it is equally true that many who have claimed to have seen things have observed nothing of the kind. We say this not to prescribe doubt on Elipaz's vision, but rather only to warn that many through the years have claimed to have received revelations, dreams, and visions from the Lord that only originated from their own deceived hearts. So that just because a man says that God has spoken to him does not mean he speaks the truth. Ezekiel 13, 2. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord God. Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. So also Jeremiah 23, verses 25 and 26. I have heard what the prophets said, that prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Gill on Jeremiah 23, 26. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies to invent such lies and deceive people and turn them away from God? Agreeably to the preceding and following verses, this shows that this was not through ignorance and inadvertence. It was meditated and studied things by them. They contrived it in their hearts and they were resolute and bent upon it and took much delight and pleasure in it. Their hearts were in it, and it was in them to do as they did. And in this way they had been long, but should continue no longer." End quote. Though we cannot really know for sure if Eliphaz saw a vision, what we can know surely is that he was not God's spokesman. And the very fact that he was not ordained to speak for the Lord should cause us to question what he says. Sincerity also is no guarantee for truth, so that even if men are given dreams and revelations, still they should lean solely upon the Lord for their interpretation. Genesis 48, And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Those thus who say they speak by the Spirit should be tried. This could be done by observing the sincerity by which men confess Jesus Christ as their Lord, by also if it is the Holy Spirit or not. Hence, just because men speak in either God or Christ's name does not mean that the Holy Spirit accompanies them when they speak. Even as human reason and religious speculation are not proof whatsoever of the Holy Spirit's influence. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, 
but try the spirits, whether they have God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Barnes on 1 John 4.1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Do not confide implicitly in everyone who professes to be under the influences of the Holy Spirit. The true and false teachers of religion alike claim to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. And it was of importance that all such pretensions should be examined. It was not to be admitted because anyone claimed to have been sent from God that therefore he was sent. Every such claim should be subjected to the proper proof before it was conceded. All pretensions to divine inspiration of these false prophets would do or to being authorized teachers of religion were to be examined by the proper tests. Because there were many false and delusive teachers who set up such claims in the world, end quote. Eliphaz's correction of Job continues, verse 18 now. Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency, which is in them, go away? They die even without wisdom. Without quibbling with Elipaz's words, let us briefly say that God does trust his servants, not to do as they will, knowing this true spokesman will conduct themselves according to God's will. Some commentators have attributed the servants spoken of here as angels, but the truth remains the same, that God does use both angelic and human messengers to reveal to men his will. It seems also amazing that Eliphaz, after speaking of his own vision and taking on a role of thinking himself fully able to set Job right, now casts doubt on God's trusting others in ministry. As if God could reveal revelation to Eliphaz, but would exclude others from being given revelation from God. It is thus pride that prompts men to conclude that they alone can be used for God that their religion is the right religion simply because it is theirs. The truth also is that God does trust his messengers. It is how he has brought forth his word and is how his will is made known to men. Elihu, who will be introduced later in the book, will serve this purpose for the Lord as well. Job 36.2, Elihu's words, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. Elihu then would be commissioned by God to speak on his behalf, to then clear up so much of the spiritual confusion which was the result of human thinking. Elipaz continues, But notice how all that he can do is speak of God, and we sense no power whatsoever that he was sent to speak for God. No doubt here is a man who liked to talk, but had very little to actually say. Job chapter 5 verse 1 now. Call now, if there be any that will answer thee, and to which of the saints wilt thou turn? For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither any to deliver them, whose harvest the hungry teeth eateth up, and take that even out of the thorns, 
and the robber swalloweth up their substance. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble, as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, this is his counsel, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters unto the fields, to set up on a high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the froward in carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope in the noonday as in the night. But he saveth the poor from the sword, from their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor man hath hope, and iniquity stoppeth her mouth. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore, and bindeth up. He woundeth, and his hands make whole. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall be no evil touch thee. In famine he shall redeem thee from death, and in war from the power of the sword. Thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue, Neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it cometh. At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh. Neither shalt thou be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For thou shalt be in the league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with thee. And thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace, and thou shalt visit thy habitation and shall not sin. Thou shalt know also that thy seed shall be great, and thine offspring is the grass of the earth. Thou shalt come to thy graves in full age, like a shock of corn cometh in his season. Lo this, we have searched it, so it is, hear it, and know thou, it is for thy good. Again, without inspiration, though men may speak much, and he surely did, they will accomplish little, and cannot through human reason bring men to conviction of sin. This work alone is the work of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8. And when he, the Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Elipaz makes enough reference to what he has seen, verse 3, and then closes with that if Job will hear him, it will prove to be very much for Job's own good. Yet in the end, Eliphaz's confidence in his own words and own insights did absolutely nothing to help Job's suffering or to convince Job of sin. Neither of Eliphaz's other speeches in chapters 15 and 22, will accomplish this either. Because Eliphaz was not being led by God's Spirit, he would be proven to be incapable of helping Job, teaching us that when men think they know but do not, it is not help they bring, but only harm. So also if men go it alone by leaning on their own wisdom, they shall found to be ineffective for any of God's tasks. Thus he who speaks of himself will convince no man of God. Job, as shall be seen, though he heard the arguments, was neither moved nor swayed in the slightest. Therefore, though the dressed-up human wisdom presented to him sounded eloquent and was perceived, at least by the speaker, Ilipaz, to come from one with knowledge, still God endorsed none of it. Observe as well that there is nothing piercing nor penetrating in men's words. 
unless it is by the Spirit of God that they are speaking. For God's Word alone is living and powerful, and able to touch and critique the thoughts and intents of the sinner's heart. Hence, for men's heart to be penetrated and to be brought to conviction of sin, then God's Word must be spoken to them. For the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, penetrating, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and a discerner or a critic of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Barnes on Hebrews 4.12, sharper, and this is in reference to God's Word, than any two-edged sword, literally two-mouthed sword. The word mouth was given to the sword because it seemed to devour all before it. It consumed or destroyed as a wild beast does. The comparison of the word of God to a sword or to an arrow is designed to show its power of penetrating the heart. The idea is that of piercing or penetrating. And the meaning here is that the word of God reaches the heart, the very center of action, and lays open the motives and feelings of the man, end quote. Chapter 6, verse 1 now. But Job answered and said, Benson on this verse, Job answered and said, Elipaz concluded his discourse with an air of assurance, being very confident that what he advanced was so plain and so pertinent that nothing could be objected to it. Job, however, is not at all convinced by it, but still justifies himself in his complaints and condemns his friend for the weakness of his arguing. Though Elipaz in the beginning and some other parts of his speech was very severe upon Job, gave him no interruption, but heard him patiently till he had delivered his whole mind. But when he had done this and had finished all he had to say, Job modestly but feelingly makes his reply, end quote. Verse two now of Job's response. Oh, that my grief was truly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass, or loweth the ox over his fodder? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? The things that my soul refuses to touch are as my sorrowful meat. Oh, that I might make my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for. This thing was death, even that it would please God to destroy me. That he would let loose his hand and cut me off from the earth. Then I should have comfort, yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that should prolong my life? Elipaz's words, though they might have been filled with good intentions, actually in the end help no one as Job returns to his early desire to pass from this world and be cut off from the land of the living. Nothing that Elipaz had spoken even remotely touched or pierced Job's heart. And though he spoke much, this is Elipaz, of course, he accomplished absolutely nothing in either comforting Job or bringing him answers to his troubled soul. Job continues, verse 12 now. 
Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh of brass? Is not my help in me, and in wisdom driven quite from me? To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the streams of brook they pass away, which are blackish by reason of the ice, and wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. Verse 18 now, the paths of their way are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. The troops of Tima look at the companies of Sheba waited for them. They were confounded because they had hoped. They came thither and were ashamed. For now you are nothing. You are my casting down and are afraid. Did I say, bring unto me or Give a reward for me of your substance. Deliver me from thine enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of the mighty. Teach me and I will hold my tongue, Job speaking again, and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Verse 24 shows that Job was willing to be taught if there were any with sufficient wisdom to teach him. Teach me and I will hold my tongue, he says, and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Hence, Job reveals himself open to reproof and willing to listen to any legitimate claim against himself if the case is solid enough to convince him of sin. We know that what Job says here is true in that he sincerely was looking for answers and desired true spiritual understanding simply because when Elihu begins to speak in chapter 32, Job offers no defense whatsoever to his correction. The same holds true when the Lord continues Job's reproof after Elihu's words. When the Holy Spirit then inspires men's correction, if they are humble, they will consent to their sin and begin to see it as a crime against God. God's word, therefore, when rightly spoken, will stop men's mouths from claiming themselves as righteous in God's sight. Benson on Job 6.24 Teach me. Instead of censuring and reproaching, instruct and convince me by solid arguments. And I will hold my tongue, Job speaking, I will patiently hear and gladly receive your counsels and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Show me my mistakes and miscarriages, for I am ready to receive your reproofs and humbly to submit to them. How forcible are right words, the words of truth and solid argument, have a marvelous power to convince and persuade a man. And if yours were such, I should readily yield to them. But what doth your arguing reprove? There is no truth in your assertions, nor weight in your arguments. And therefore they are of no account and have no power with me." End quote. Job continues his defense against Elipaz's words. Verse 25 now. How forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing reprove? Verse 26 now. Do you imagine to reprove words and the speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind? Yea, you overwhelm the fatherless and you dig a pit for your friend. Now therefore be content, look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Return, I pray you. Let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again. My righteousness is in it. Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste to discern perverse things? 
Job here appeals to Elipaz's own conscience. Benson on verse 30, Is there iniquity in my tongue? Consider if there be any iniquity or untruth in what I have said, already said, or shall further speak. Have I hitherto uttered anything that is faulty? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? That is my understanding, which judges of words and actions, as the palate doth of meats? I hope it is not so corrupted, but that I can discern what is bad, though spoken by myself, end quote. See, though Job was afflicted, this did not mean that he had lost the discernment to know if what he spoke was sincere or not, or even if God's spirit was in the words. Eliphaz had attacked Job's character, and Job's response is to appeal to Eliphaz's own conscience on whether or not soundness of discernment still remained in him in Job when he refuted Eliphaz's correction. We could continue to examine each and every argument of Eliphaz, and then also Job's defense of himself. But this would only clutter the real purpose of the book, which is to reveal the path that God will lead men to to discover a broken and contrite spirit. We cannot then be taught by God the real lesson that Job was to learn if we extensively examine those who possessed no idea as to what God had purposed for this godly man. Getting lost in the words of those who know not God themselves consequently will only add confusion to our own minds. God's word teaching us that foolish questions should be avoided and the same could be said for listening too intently to any who know practically nothing of what they speak. This is surely true of Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophor, and even Job himself before his repentance, teaching us that the only words that will ultimately prove profitable to men are those which the Holy Spirit inspires. To finish out Eliphaz's words to Job, the reader can read chapters 15 and 22. In quick summation, let us briefly say that Eliphaz continues his second address in beseeching Job to hear him based primarily on what he had seen. Uh, Job 15, 17, I will show thee, he says, hear me, and that which I have seen I will declare. Elipaz, by his third address, finding himself unable to be heard and convinced Job of anything, begins to accuse him of crimes that he did not commit. Job 22, verses 5 through 9, Is not thy wickedness great? and this is in reference to Job, and thine iniquities infinite. For thou hast taken a pledge from the brother for naught, and stripped the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink, and thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. But as for the mighty man, he had the earth, and the honorable man dwelt in it. Thou hast sent, again in reference to Job, widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. When then men are not heard, as they think they should be, when also they are not led by the Holy Spirit, then their improper claims and exaggerations as to what others have seemingly done have no bounds. Men also, if they lack integrity, will have no problem placing false claims upon their brethren, simply to prove themselves as right in their own eyes. This was true of Eliphaz with Job, and sadly, also proven true of Job with God. Verse 40, or I'm sorry, uh, Job 48 now. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment, the Lord says to Job? 
Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? It is not then uncommon for men to condemn others to remain righteous in their own eyes, but also going as far to blame God himself. The truly self-righteous man, therefore, will stop at nothing, and no one in order to keep himself pure in his own eyes, so that regardless of how much men may embellish a matter to prove their point, without divine inspiration, all will be proven to be in vain. Hence, telling someone that they are a sinner, without God's Spirit leading, will accomplish absolutely nothing towards advancing the real purposes of God. It is God who is man's judge, and in truth, God alone, by His inspired words that shall send men to their knees. And God will do just this. When He begins His reproof of Job, after also all the efforts had failed of Job and his three friends. Amen.